0: The News on CJOB with Richard Cluche and Julie Buckingham. City, and I always like to say he's a dad, he's a husband, he's a member of the community. And um, on this World Suicide Prevention Day, I have to ask you right off the bat, doctor, you know, during COVID times, um, this has been especially
1: hard on on young people, hasn't it? Absolutely. It's, uh been hard on everybody it's uh, when people say it's been globally hard I think that we there's very few things that we as, as, a, as people and as a species has ever been faced with that have impacted uh, almost to a person um, us this much and uh, and since we're so connected and so social we also feel each other's stress and each other's difficulties. so it's made the entire social soup that we all swim around in uh, that much more difficult and particularly for people who are already struggling they are absolutely especially at risk.
0: In our teens and as parents sometimes you know we have been cultured to think that oh you know uh, talk of suicide it's part of what sometimes young people go through and we perhaps don't take it as seriously as we should. Based on your practice and what you have seen um, take us through some some facts and some myths here when it comes to our our children and suicide?
1: Well, I think one of the biggest myths is that uh, talking about it uh, will somehow give someone the idea to do it. Uh, In fact, we know it's actually the opposite that when people don't talk about important things like that, um, when those elephants in the room exist and and the tension and anxiety is there in uh, people's lives and relationships and these things aren't addressed, they tend to get worse and people tend to get desperate and they feel lonely and isolated. And so, so I think one of the myths is that not talking about it um, somehow um, is better. And in fact, it's actually worse. We want to be talking, making connections. People who kill themselves often feel completely disconnected from the world and people around them, and so they don't and they don't feel like they're worthy of living, or they feel like they're often a burden on other people. And uh, and a lot of people, you know, consider it it's selfish or whatever it is. But it's um, you know, it's it's one of these things where it's deeply personal every single time. And uh, I don't really ever want to paint anyone's suicide with a single brush or theme. So, um, yeah, I, I think that the one myth I would want people to know is that you need to talk to people about these things. And if you don't talk to them about it, they're going to talk to other people or they're going to talk to themselves and they're going to come up with their own conclusions. And you don't have control or even a say in that if you never start the conversation.
2: You mentioned about the social soup that we all tend to be a, a part of. One of the things that's been going through my mind throughout this pandemic is that collective anxiety. And like you mentioned, Dr. Treppel, that affects anyone from, you know, the age of eight to 88. And I'd love to know a little bit more about the explanation of how. I can't, for me, logically explain when I get on a bus why I feel a little anxious and yet, I get the feeling that every other person on that bus is also feeling a little anxious. How do we explain that? And more importantly, how do we explain that to our children?
1: That's a great question. So, we are uh, human beings, have been around for about 300,000 years. And we uh, collectively um, maintained a family line called an epigenome, where a collection of our experiences along our family lines for many generations. So all the things our ancestors have survived and have some experience about, we have a dim memory about and and many of those were in social situations. But but that's I don't think what's going on nowadays. I think what's going on nowadays is that we have several things that are happening simultaneously. They're isolating us in a very unique way and each one in a qualitatively different experience. So digital media, for instance, has kind of caused us to isolate ourselves a lot more. Uh, virtual reality technology doesn't have us going places anymore it has us staying places and experiencing things far away Um, things like legalizing marijuana marijuana can be a social drug but it can also be a, a drug that isolates people that's now legalized and now more available these things are happening at the same time as expectations around our finances which is scary are happening at the same time as well so these forces are all happening while COVID is now occurring and so this soup has now got a lot more spice in it because now we have the uncertainty of who around us might be dangerous. And that uncertainty for us increases our social anxiety, increases our sort of collective sense of, of, of paranoia about other people. We used to, you know, I used to grow up being worried about strangers. My parents told me don't talk to strangers because, you know, they might try to give you candy and get them to their van. Now they might cough on you. Now they might, they might touch you. That is a whole new level of, of, of disconnect that humans have never really ever experienced before. And we are confused about it. We are in denial about it in many ways, but we are absolutely all struggling with it. And so
2: how do we boil this down to talk to someone who, who's a young child? Because I, I, like I said, I have a tough time wrapping my head around this. I can't even imagine what it's like being a kid going through this experience that is unlike
1: any other. What you just said was beautiful and exactly what a person, a younger person would want to hear, that it's okay to not know everything. It's okay to be very scared or confused yourself. There's going to be many more times in your life where you're going to feel like this. And so for a young person to be reassured that you yourself feel this way and that you also are with them going through this in in the same way. But at the same time, you also have coping mechanisms that you've developed as an adult that you employ that we have to remind our kids about to remind them. So, you know, you can come talk to me and, you know, we're gonna do some things together to make this a little easier in this way. And the point is you teach them about how you make it through these things because you do and you're going to, even though it is scary. Um, But the other thing you do is you also have to manage your other things too. You you as an adult have to manage your your sleep and your meals and, and your relationships as well so that you can be calm enough to slow down enough to make space to have that conversation with your child. So I think that that's sort of what's going on in a a larger scale.
0: 545 on 680 CJOB, two more minutes with uh, the good Dr. Simon Truppel with us on 680 CJOB. Doctor, um, at what point in our relationship with our children that we should pick up the phone and formally ask for help through the system?
1: Uh, I think I think as a parent, you have instincts when you're worried. And I think, uh, as I said before, when we're faced with overwhelming things such as our child struggling, we go through a lot of different stages like confusion and denial and minimizing and rationalizing. and uh, But the reality of it is, I think if you're starting to get worried about your child um, and you can't get anywhere talking to them, I think you then start going after collateral information, meaning you start to try to connect to who their supports are. There was a there's a netflix uh, movie on right now about a, a father whose daughter goes missing and he has to try to search for her and he realizes he doesn't know any one of her friends so he has really no way of of taking the, the search any deeper and the, the story the, mo- the movie is sort of about how he has to sort of sleuth his way through fi- figuring out who his 16 year old daughter is because he doesn't know who she is and, and that's a very i think that's a poignant thing about uh, how what a lot of parents are facing nowadays.
0: And when it, and, and when you pick up that phone and the person at the other end of that phone says it's going to be a three month wait before we can get your child in.
1: You know I think depending on what the situation is um, and I certainly I, I'm going to say this and I certainly don't want everybody to suddenly bring their kids to the emergency department or something like that but but there are more acute services. So, for instance, phoning the mobile crisis unit, um, which is a Winnipeg-based service, uh, I think it operates within city limits. So there are limits outside of Winnipeg as well where there, where there aren't these same services. But within city limits, phoning mobile crisis is certainly a first step for people. Um, looking at pe- people like guidance counselors, extended family, looking at people your child is connected with and uh, sort of talk with them. But there are places like you can bring your child to the emergency department if you are acutely worried about their safety, either towards himself, other people, or you feel they've been deteriorating for a substantial, maybe, a substantial meaning you know, as long as it takes to get worried. If, if your child has been deteriorating for a week and it looks like a very big change, then you have every right to bring your child to the emergency department, phone the mobile crisis unit at the very least, phone your family doctor, pediatrician, um, And anybody else who you think can connect them to the resources they need and make sure you don't take no for an answer.
0: Reason to live the Manitoba Suicide Prevention and Support Line is 1-877-435-7170. Simon, appreciate the time. Talk soon.
1: For sure. Thanks, guys. The news
0: on CJOB with Richard Kluche and Julie Buckingham.